Hello and welcome to another episode of The Playlist Podcast, a weekly discussion of films and TV. I'm one of your hosts, Mike D'Angelo, and on this episode, I got to sit down with director Navat Papashado, who is currently out promoting his new film, Gunpowder Milkshake, which stars Karen Gillan from Guardians of the Galaxy and Lena Headey of Game of Thrones and so many more amazing actors. Uh, That film is available on Netflix on July 14th. Navat was really, really enjoyable to talk to, especially when it comes to us film nerds, because he's such a deep lover of cinema, all the way back to the silent era, to 1930s and 40s film noir, to Sergio Leone movies, to Tarantino movies, and beyond that, you can just tell how much he loves making movies and cares about the medium. So we got to chat all about Gunpowder Milkshake, which is a super fun, colorful, ultra-violent little action flick that I hope spawns a bunch of sequels because while there's a lot of underworld assassin-type movies being released after John Wick, this one is definitely one we could run with uh, as an audience and and as a filmmaker. I'd love to see Navat pick it up again. Uh, But we also got to talk about his time being attached to the Bruce Willis Death Wish movie, what he has coming up next and if he you know ever wanted to take a swing at a superhero blockbuster because let's face it any action director worth their salt is probably being courted by at least one or two studios at this point i'll let you hear every bit of that conversation in a minute but before we get to our chat i've got to tell you that the playlist podcast is part of the playlist podcast network which includes be real deep focus the fourth wall and more and can be heard on itunes anchor fm soundcloud stitcher and now spotify follow us on itunes and you'll get this podcast as well as our other shows regularly be sure to subscribe and drop us a comment or a rating and as always thank you for listening now without further delay our chat with gunpowder milkshakes badass director navat papashado all right uh like i'll just jump in uh, i want to thank writer director navat papashado for joining me to discuss his new film gunpowder milkshake which hits netflix on july 14th navat thank you so much for joining us on the playlist podcast thank you mike it's a pleasure just first off i want to say i really really enjoyed this movie it's a super, you know, colorful, bloody, action-packed, fun time. So good times either way for me, I'm, even though I enjoyed it in my living room and not a theater, but it was still a great time. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So I guess let's start at the beginning of your journey for this film. Uh, I know you're credited as a writer as well, uh, but did the a draft already exist or was this kind of your baby going in? No, it was my baby. I mean, me and my co-writer just came up with the idea and couple of ideas to be more specific we find okay. them um, kind of uh, hitting in this uh, nice junction and like all all ideas i'm usually in- interested in are different genres from different eras all of a sudden meeting each other to create something a little bit different this time i think it was a film noir meeting an assassin movie yeah so that was actually kind of something i wanted to touch on i know uh, another film I'm a, a fan of, Big Bad Wolves, that you get that you did, um, and it's on Prime right now. If anybody's listening, you can go watch, watch that for free. Uh, you kind of pitched it as a, a dirty, hairy, wanders by mistake into like a Korean revenge film, but written by the brothers Grimm. Is, is there a, a weird way that you pitch Netflix on this outside of what you just said? I think no. no this this kind of didn't need a pitch at the, to begin with, but sure. uh, later on, as the movie progressed and got to be what it is, it was 
the pitch went something like this. It's like, okay, what if Akira Kurosawa, Alfred Hitchcock and Sergio Leone met in a room, watched Looney Tunes and was a bit um, intoxicated? Let's, so let's, let's call it like that. I think that would be the definition of gunpowder milkshake. I would concur. That sounds pretty spot on. The world itself, it feels like really complete and fleshed out between, you know, like the firm and the, you know, the library world and everything in between. I'm wondering if, did you have like a bunch of pages of unused backstory for this or did you kind of invite the actors to fill that in themselves a little bit of both i mean the world itself was pretty much already laid out as i mentioned i was very much inspired and still am from by um all these film noirs Mm -hmm. starting from Alfred Hitchcock and john houston and uh, robert sidemack all these great movies that goes back to the 30s 40s 50s they always had those underworlds that I was fascinated by, you know, words that belong to hired killers and contract killers and um, high strawbers. They all have these joints where they can go have a meal in peace, either it's a diner or a restaurant or a club, or they have their own mechanics or their own weapon supplier. It always had this rich underworld that they all lived in and they followed rules, these outlaws. I think it's portrayed very well in, for example, Jean-Pierre Melville's La Samurai and other movies since then. But it started back in those film noirs. So that was the basis almost for for everything. Um, It's also the beginning of the assassin genre, which maybe if we had a couple of hours, we could... (laughs) <laughs> all the way back to Kurosawa and Hitchcock and, and Sergio Leone even. So I, I was fascinated by those joints, by those rules, by those codes, and how every time these villains, these outlaws follow these ro- rules, these codes, until something enters their life. And usually something innocent, either it's a madman, you know, a girl in distress, it's a kid, sometimes it's a baby, if you go, for example, to... Lombo from and Cub and so all these movies had these wonderful things in common and that's what sparked the world. But then you have to to take under consideration all these characters that we wrote and they were written pretty simultaneously. So one of them affect the other. But I have to admit, once the cast arrived, they helped shape their characters individually, but also as a team. Because for the librarians, for example, I wanted all of them to be very distinguished and have their own voice. But they also have to complement each other. On this movie was great collaborators, very generous, and they helped shape the movie and elevate it to where it is today. And I, I owe them a great debt for that. Yeah. So that, yeah, you were saying that cast is absolutely stacked and there's no weak link here. Everyone almost feels like tailor-made for their roles. Did you write any parts with these guys in mind or did you kind of like find the right people? Yes, a little bit, but <laughs> I did not to uh, speak it out loud so I wouldn't jinx it. Um, I was a fan of obviously like the whole world is a fan of some of these amazing yeah. actors. First came Karen and Lena. I mean, they were first who came on board. They were, I was a fan of them, but after meeting them, I knew I had to work with them on this. They were just so perfect for it. Afterwards, when Angela Bassett, Michelle Yao, and Carla Gugino just joined in, it was okay, this would be my my perfect three top choices. And they they all read the script, loved it. And I think they also loved the idea of working with each other. Because the chemistry on set was was incredible. So, yeah, it was beyond my wildest dream to have all these ladies come together 
that and Chloe, who plays Emily, is fantastic and pitch perfect. And that's really tricky to find a child actor that can carry what she needs to carry in this film. And, and she does a really great job. So I don't know how long you had to look for her, but well done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Chloe, Chloe is incredible. Such a professional. And shooting in Berlin, we only had three hours on set with her, which is something I only learned pretty late in the game. Yeah. But she was, she knew her lines, everyone else else's lines. She's such a professional. It was a pleasure working with her. Uh, Gunpowder Milkshake has this kind of feminist slant on this type of action movie. Was that always like baked in from the beginning or was that kind of added on once you started to see where this could go and the cast you were compiling? I think from the beginning, it, it was there. I mean, once you write this world, once you write these characters, they have to be strong. They have to be powerful. The movie is feminist by its nature. Obviously, one becomes even stronger and better. But I think once we understood where the script is going, where that decision of Karen as Sam, where she has to make a choice, either she's going to continue with her job, with the mission she was sent to do by the firm, or she needs to take... It was obvious it's it's going to be... a a, fem- a very feminine movie. Um, and it pretty much wrote itself. Yeah. So it was very inherited to begin with in the script, but obviously it was amplified once we had this amazing cast come along and just be badass and powerful. And and obviously, you know, with a film being about a person mixed up in an underworld of criminals and assassins and having to shoot and stab and claw their way out, you know, there's going to be some comparisons to like John Wick, but I'd say this is a lot more like kind of self-aware and stylized and kind of leans into the humor of it all more where they would kind of play it a little more serious or a little more gritty. You know, I also felt, you know, there was a little Tarantino, Guy Ritchie, early Ryan Johnson, but I'm curious what films you were looking at for inspiration when creating like the colorful kind of world that this is. First of all, I appreciate it and I love all this. <laughs> no, it, it really is. I'm, I'm standing on, on, on the shoulders of giants. I would go back. I think most of my inspirations start from the silent era. I mean, Buster Keaton inspiration especially when it comes to physical comedy and action sequences like i mentioned kurosawa and hitchcock and i think he's a huge inspiration especially the good the bad and the ugly and the all the dollar trilogy but when you go down the timeline into play where you have jean-pierre melville which was a tremendous influence on the genre itself and then you have jacques demy with uh, the umbrellas of Schottburg, where you've discussed you've mentioned colors and the colorful world that we've built so we were a little bit inspired by musicals like that and like singing in the rain um and then you have all this new wave that came in the 70s like michael mann and scorsese and and, i mean the list goes on i think the inspiration for these movies ended up somewhere around 2003 kill bill kind of a thing yeah yeah Um, it's a very kind of like i was asked a lot by my producer is is this movie taking place in the 90s because i wouldn't tell them i mean we wanted to create this out of place out of time kind of a movie so you know they don't have iphones or smartphones and the cars seems almost like they've been taking out of the 90s so yeah i mean you also have luke bassons with nikita and on the professional and everything that's in between and on top of everything i'm an 80s kid so i grew yeah. up in spielberg and zamekis and on a lot of horror movies and you have a little bit of tongue and cheek yep. oh exactly <laughs> <laughs> um, we have a little Carpenter homage in the Gold Bar fight and the soundtrack for that. So I think it's such a genre blender, but I would say most of the influences of most of the movies 
we were inspired by are a bit more ancient, <laughs> a bit more <laughs> classic ones. Although I, I enjoy many of the recent ones that have been made, for me, it was always finding the heart in the most unlikable places. Like, how do I bring emotion and, and color into very dark worlds or very dark themes? And I think the classics did it the best. And I'm, I'm trying to, like I said, sit on the giant, on, on the shoulders of giants. Yeah, you touched on the music of it all. Was that stuff built into the script or did you find that in the edit? Because these, it almost plays like a music video sometimes and it's beautiful to behold along with the music. So it just kind of works perfectly. Well, again, thank you for that. Um, a little bit was conceived early on. I, I knew you, I mean, obviously when you write, you have a song playing in your head and you, you wish it would work. On set, I would sometimes play music to the cast to get them in the mood, um, where, whether it's the um, suspenseful kind of build-up before the bowling alley fight. But just for all the look-ups, uh, you know, I, I remember playing the cast, the soundtrack for The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, yeah. the final showdown. So the trio. That helped a lot set the mood. And we were discussing music with, with Karen, with Lena, with everyone. So music was a big, also inspiration on the movie, but... Something that I, I remember calling Frankie, the composer, and telling him, well, put aside the, the needle drops for a second. I've got a feeling this movie needs the love child of Ennio Morricone, Stilevo Kiperani, and Bernard Herrmann. And he goes like, I'm not sure I understand. <laughs> I'm, talking, I'm hearing a Western, I'm hearing Italian chic, and I'm hearing the Hitchcockian themes. Mm -hmm. And hold and behold, I mean, Frankie delivered, and I think... It's the kind of glue that puts this whole movie together in this genre blender. I think the music is working to hold all these different genres from different eras, but also give it maybe a more modern twist. So music is a big part of, of my passion, and I think it's such an important element. And of course, then you have all the needed drops from... from Matt Monroe to Karen Delton to, to animals covering Bob Dylan and Mercury Rev from the 90s <laughs> is very eclectic, but it speaks to my personal taste. But I think it also works with the movie, which is something that sometimes sometimes is a struggle. But I, I think I think I I control myself. I think I behave. Yeah. I think you threaded the needle pretty well. Um, but as far as the ending goes, I, I don't think it's spoiling anything to say that the film ends in a way that could serve as like a fitting end to the story, or it could be like, this could go on for a while now. With that in mind, have you thought about what like a second gunpowder milkshake would, would even look like? <laughs> it's funny. It's when you write something, you want to write a wholesome piece. You want a movie to work on its own. And for me, the, the ending is this bittersweet ending and I, I love ending a movie with this big question mark that leaves you you know even in Big Bad Wolves and in Rabies obviously different movies different themes and maybe darker but I think the skies a lot of those darker balance and about sacrifice and about motherhood and about this cycle that we keep finding ourselves in I try to hide it in something that is more 50s that is <laughs> a bit more enjoyable and i think the clinic fight is a great example it's it's violent it's crazy but at the same time it's and i hope it's enjoyable oh yeah so when it comes to the ending it almost puts you in this mood that you're not sure how you're supposed to feel so that worked when we 
on the script that worked on tape that worked when we shot it. But obviously it's a question mark. And once the movie is done, you get a little bit more appetite. Okay, there's so many more ideas that we left out. And after this wonderful experience working with this amazing cast and amazing crew, I had Michael Saracen, the legendary DOP, and Luis Foglet and David Schunemann, production design. So you're like, I know where this is going if we, mm-hmm. the audience like it enough. And I know where this is going and where we can take it. And I would be very excited to work with all these people again. I would try to push it into the more Westerns. Awesome. <laughs> territories, at least in the feeling. Um, I think the movie starts as a film noir, goes into a Western and slash martial art movie and ends up in this wild bunch kind of a theme. And I would absolutely would like to keep exploring those elements if I'm lucky enough. I would love to see it. But um, while I have you here, I do know it was a long period between Big Bad Wolves and this. And there were a lot of like stop starts uh, of things that came up. At one point, you were uh, attached to a Death Wish remake, which actually did come out with Bruce Willis. And and you guys left due to creative differences. You know, I I read that you guys wanted to inject inject kind of like what you did here with its stylized violence. There's some humor. um, But you know, obviously there were some competing ideas there. Now that you have some distance from the project, do you mind if I ask how things, you know, how you were going to incorporate some of those elements and, and, and why they, you think that they weren't on board? Wow. That, that's, <laughs> I'm trying not to shoot you in the foot here. <laughs> I can handle it. I got two of those. Um, <laughs> it was just, you know, I thought we, we, we could really make a great movie. Also, the book is amazing. Actually, I want to do something about a guy is not good at what he does. Like go against the typecast. Yeah. You know, you're not born John McClane. You know, most of us are not that kind of a person. Something gritty and and and, and different. And, and it seems like everyone was on board. And this is why I wasn't engaging. But at one point it felt like, okay, maybe this is not what everyone had in mind. And just once you do a movie, you're married for the rest of your life. So you should yeah. be at peace with what you do. And it felt like that might not be the case. So again, I think it's one of those rare cases where actually when you say creative differences, that's what it was. Yeah, um, I'm still in good terms with a lot of people that were involved there. So it wasn't a bad thing or on a bad note. Well, at least there's that. And you're still, you know, working with Aaron a little bit. Uh, I know you're attached to the upcoming film uh, Till Death. Actually, uh, me, me and Aaron are no, not working together anymore. I mean, I did wrote Till Death with him, but... right. Right, exactly. And and that's all I was going to say is, is how much were you involved in Till Death in, in just like the early writing phase or or you guys just decided to divide and conquer at this point? No, no, the script was written by us and mm-hmm. I was involved in the casting of the main character, main, uh, main cast. But uh, at one point it just felt like he's not doing gunpowder and we just went our separate ways. Yeah, that totally happens. Uh, So whenever a a director like yourself shows, you know, a command of action and character, it's only natural to assume that they'll eventually kind of get snatched up in this big budget superhero film environment that we have. I'm curious, as a fan of both, you know, this kind of film and that kind of film, uh, if that's something you're interested in or if that if you'd prefer to kind of keep the budget smaller than than those kind of big affairs. I really, really enjoy doing these kind of movies. I mean has all the toys you need but at the same time the freedom and you can go crazy and you can have your own thing and studio canal 
um, who initially financed and, and was, was supportive of me throughout the entire process. So I'm feeling very comfortable doing these kind of movies. It's still a big a step doing a movie for half a million dollars, doing something like this and with this amazing cast. And like I said, I had everything I needed. It's still not a big budget, but I have everything I needed and, and wanted, of course, with limitations. This year caught us all by surprise and, you know, staying at home, I was able to keep writing. That's yeah. <laughs> sometimes you can do watch movies and keep writing. So there's another um, heist movie, 70s heist movie. There's another horror movie. There's another Western that came out. So there's a lot of genres I still want to explore. Um, I haven't really thought that far. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I was never interested in the budget. I was never inter- interested in, I was always, always interested in the story and what can I do within those perimeters. And this is what my interpretation to the assassin genre. Mm-hmm. Big Bad Bulls was an interpretation to the whole kidnap torture thriller. And Rabies was my interpretation to the slasher genre. Mm-hmm. So, find ways to blend genres together and maybe give my own little stamp on them. So wherever there's an opportunity to do that, I think that's where I would feel very comfortable regardless of the budget. According to IMDb, you have a lot of irons in the fire, but you know, IMDb is not really a source of truth these days. I'm wondering if you have, you know, the project you're going to go on next, or if you're going to make us wait the better part of a, a decade again, <laughs> hopefully not. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, you know, that that's behind me. I, I need to, there's nothing I like more than shooting movies and be on set. And it's really right now, I'm only thing I'm focused in is making sure Gunpowder is watched by as many people and understood and, and enjoyed and loved. Whatever comes next, I'll, I'll have to decide. But right now, my 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 only <laughs> mission and goal is making sure people see it and, and hopefully love it. Well, you got a fan in me. Uh, again, I, I have to wrap up with you. I want to thank you for joining me today. As I said at the top, Gunpowder Milkshake hits Netflix on July 14th. It is well worth your time. Uh, it is a super fun, bloody, awesome, colorful uh, mishmash of genres like we've been talking about. So, Navat, thank you so much for joining us. I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you so much, Mike. <laughs>